Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. We're with you for another couple hours teeing up Jay's Mariners Wild Card Series. It gets going down at Rogers Center tomorrow, 407 first pitch. It'll be Ben Wagner and Ben Nicholson Smith on the call for you for game one. Ben and Arden Zwelling on the call for you for game two. And if you want to get hyped up for this series uh, all day on the Sports Radio Network and Sports at 590, the fan, um, of course, Jays Talk Plus, and you can get that in podcast form after on the Blue Jays Talk podcast feed, uh, Blair and Barker. But tomorrow, it's just going to be wall-to-wall Blue Jays here. Uh, the morning show with Alish and Justin will be all Jays focus heading in that wild card. The J.D. Bunkus podcast at 9 a.m. will be heavy on Jays stuff. Uh, that, that'll go right into Blair and Barker, and then that'll go right into Jays Talk Plus from down at the Dome, and then Ben Ennis will have a, a drive time from down at the Dome as well. Uh, not really in drive time because it'll be 2 to 4 p.m., uh, but then we'll go right into the game. So you've got nothing but Jays stuff all weekend. One of the names I just mentioned uh, coming on with us here, and maybe we'll hear from him on the weekend too, J.D. Bunkus of the J.D. Bunkus podcast at Sports at 590, the fan. I got really excited at first, J.D. Um, I saw you come on and I was like, oh, man, did they get me 29th man Trent Thornton uh, for an interview on on media day? That's rude. And then, rude, and then no. I'm looking at Trent Thornton. Come and on. then you're come just. On. Don't be like that. What it's a doing? rare J.D. Bunkus glasses day. What are you doing? Why, why, why are you trying to hurt me like that? You know I have a, a scratched eye. I'm playing hurt, coming on your show, and I get attacked, saying like 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 Trent Thornton. Trent Thornton always looks like he's he's like confused by something, you know. Well, he he I, did yesterday get the call at like three thirty in the morning. Hey, get true. here from Florida. Um, but yeah, they they get through that one. JD, uh, in seriousness, we don't have to talk about Trent Thornton. No disrespect to him. Ate some innings yesterday, but. Uh, Man, yesterday was all about getting through yesterday because tomorrow is the wild card. It's our first home playoff action since 2016. First real playoff action. Nobody counts 2020. How excited are you, man? I'm very excited. The only thing I'm not excited about is the reminder of how far we are from removed from 2016. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that keeps that keeps hitting me over the head hard because, yeah, the Kawhi shot, it feels like it was the same time as the Edwin bomb in the wild card. It's Those the halfway just, mark between the Edwin I mean. bomb and now. I don't like knowing that. I don't like thinking <laughs> about that. I was there for Edwin. Like I have the, I have the framed newspaper on my wall. It's like very old guy moved by yeah. me, but I did it anyways because it's my favorite baseball game I've ever been to. And yeah, it's an awesome Toronto Sun cover. It's the Ed Win, and he's got the hands up in the air. Yeah, it's so sick. But where, yeah, where were you sitting so... for that game? By the way, I wasn't sitting. Oh, uh, oh, you I did the get five hundreds and, and stay, lean on a rail with a beer. I might have done that. Nice. Right? No, nice. No hey, that's comment. a that's a veteran move, man. That you no, put in know, you but... put in the time all regular season so that you know to do that in a playoff spot. I know, but the only thing is, I feel like. I talked about it so much that it's, you know, when big gambling podcasts talk about something, it actually tilts the line. Yeah. Like Bill Simmons does his uh, yearly NBA over-unders, and after he does them, it actually changes the Vegas lines. I feel that way, but with my tricks at the <laughs> Rogers Center, because my gate, the gate I used to go into, my sneaky gate, I used to talk about all the time, closed. 
you got to have like an allergy, a food allergy to get in there now, <laughs> which I've tried to do multiple times. I've gone to that gate and they've gone, uh, what allergies do you have? And I'm like, peanuts. And they're like, show us the form. And I go, what form? Trick question. There is no form. There is a form. I should fill out that form. Just Wouldn't so the evidence again. just be like that you have an EpiPen on you? Like I'd imagine you'd roll up to the game with one if you're allergic to peanuts, aren't you? Wouldn't you? Yeah, but I, I, I stood – you're right. Listen, they should just let you in, though. I should have just put up more of a stink about it always and gone, so what? You want me to die? <laughs> this, you want your blood on my hands from a peanut? And then they'll maybe let you through that gate. But standing behind home plate, watching Edwin, losing my mind, sharing a bag of food from strangers that just had you <laughs> reach into a pillowcase full of random snacks. Was it Halloween? It was pretty wild. <laughs> it was just like you'd reach in one time and you'd be like, that's peanuts. And then it would just be pop like smart food. It was it was a very, very awesome mix. But, yeah, I'm, I'm excited, man. I love playoff baseball. I, there's nothing like it to me. I love all Toronto sports. You know that. Like I, when people go, what's your favorite sport? It's funny because it's more of a mood to me like than it is an actual thing. Like, I'm sometimes just in the mood for baseball more than I am for basketball. I'm in the mood for hockey sometimes more than football. But playoff baseball to me, being down at the ballpark, that environment and that energy, just based on the crowd size alone, right? It's just, it's different than being at a Raptors playoff game or a Maple Leafs playoff game, even though those things are pretty great too in the city i think a little underrated in terms of leafs because they don't get a lot of respect but that energy that flows through you in that building when somebody's up in a big spot where you want to die but also <laughs> you can't take your eyes off of it and your guts are all twisted up and then the crowd starts to get loud it's just it's there's nothing like it it's it's euphoria it's a drug and i, I can't wait to have it back in my life i didn't realize how much i missed it until I woke up this morning and really started thinking it's it's one sleep away. I'll tell you, the the best way I have to kind of snapshot that feeling is waking up the day after the Edwin home run in the 2016 wild card and having been there and not feeling great for other reasons, but being like, oh my God, that was the best baseball game I've ever been to. I don't want to go to another elimination game off playoffs. Yeah. Like it's just so much, um, but it's going to be a blast. And I think something that is really really special about this one and we can go through 2015 and 2016 there were a lot of starters who were very good and meant a lot to the fan base and stuff Alec Manoa getting the ball in game one of this series feels really special and I know he wasn't with the team in 2020 in that pandemic shortened season um, but three quarters of last year and he kind of becomes one of the guys and this year he becomes fully the guy what does it mean to you as someone who's been a big Manoa guy since kind of day one that, yeah, this, this feels like the, the crown is being placed on him, right? Like you're the ace, you're the guy we're going to move forward with. So uh, you sent me like a text earlier today about my different level of confidence with different pitchers going into uh, each season. There was, I wanted to say David Price felt this way. But the, the playoff David Price thing was always there, mm -hmm. right? It was. And I'm not going to apologize for thinking that being clutch is real and small sample sizes with playoffs because until you get it done in a big moment in the postseason, that's kind of who you are. And I know I felt that way because when Ryan Goins dropped that pop fly or didn't play that ball well, however you want to put it, and 
they didn't get out of that inning, people will always remember as much as the David Price experience was so fun, right? Like, I loved David Price. When the Blue Jays got David Price, I went to his first start here, and I remember just watching him going, I cannot believe he is in a Blue Jays uniform. Like, some people had that with Tulo. I had that with David Price, where I was watching him hurl and going, I cannot believe this is happening. They got this guy. Unbelievable. Losing my mind. But when they blew that game, everyone remembers it, and everyone remembers it. Why? Because that was the undercurrent of it. Manoa, to me, put together one of the greatest seasons a Blue Jay has ever put together. And by my... I know that guys will have Steve ahead of him for some of his years, and it's hard to quantify it because Steve was such a workhorse. He threw so many innings that you can make the case. I think Clemens has the 1A and 1B seasons, the back-to-back Cy Youngs, for any pitcher in Blue Jays history. There's no doubt about it. But Manoa can enter the conversation with those two seasons because he can do something that Clemens couldn't, which was take them deep in a postseason run and be the man. And how that starts, how you build that legend up, well, you go AL player of the month in the most important month of the season that locks you up home field advantage. You get a .88 ERA, and you just sit everyone down in the truck. Everyone goes to the truck, and they all sit in the truck. <laughs> and then you go to the postseason, and you dominate playoff baseball teams. And if Manoa does that and he takes them to a World Series, he takes them to an ALCS, I think that you're going to be able to say to people, like, you can bounce the grandkids off the lap someday and say, I saw the greatest season by any Blue Jays pitcher ever. And the excitement and the possibility of that is there's nothing greater than that to me with this run. And you're right that comparing to Dave Steeb is hard because of the eras and how much guys work. Yeah. But but try this one on. Alec Manoa started 31 games this year. He went at least five innings in every single one. And yeah. using baseball references game score, he didn't have a single start. He, first of all, he only had four below average starts the whole year. And all of those were in the like 40th to 50th percentile tier. He had no bad starts for Absolutely. 31 starts. And no one's ever going to touch the innings load that guys, heck, even guys 10 years ago were throwing. Uh, but he took the ball every fifth day and yeah, he came up just short of 200 innings, whatever. Um, he had zero times where even when he didn't have his best stuff, uh, you got Alec Manoa every single time. And I think that's why there's this big confidence level. And I don't want to speak for you, but I I'd imagine your excitement goes along with a confidence in him that, We've seen the worst of Alec Manoa this year, and he's still, it's like three earned over five innings. Like, he gives you enough to still win that game. Um, so the guys who pitched, who started games in 2015-2016, J.D., were R.A. Dickey, Marco Estrada, David Price, Marcus Stroman, Jay Happ, Aaron Sanchez. And I know Sanchez had that great year, and we all loved Estrada for the changeup magic. Stroman was... Very exciting, but so many question marks about the return from injury on such a quick turnaround and everything. Mm -hmm. You are more confident in Manoa tomorrow than you were in any of those six starters in 2015, 2016? Yeah, like I said, the only guy I can compare him to is Price. Yeah. Because Price, Price did have a presence that he was, this guy belongs to be starting the first game of a massive series. Um as great as Sanchez's season was, as great as listen, all those guys were phenomenal, and I like this is what I mean is this isn't even to disparage them at all or take anything away from them. I felt extremely confident with all of them on the mound, save for Dickey, who I you know it, it, he was not the guy that I wanted on the mound out of that <laughs> entire group. 
just Manoa is just in a different stratosphere right now. And, you know, I had on Ryan Dempster the other day to talk about where you would draft certain, like where would you draft pitchers if you needed to pick them for the next five to six seasons and you couldn't t- take Shohei. And he had him top three. And I, I just kept saying, I don't know how you couldn't at least consider him in the conversation for one. Like he would at least be in the conversation for one. I think that the attitude is a big game pitcher. I don't think the moment's going to get to him. He talked about pitchers that sometimes when you have a ballpark that's just behind you, that you get that little bit of extra zip, you get that extra pop, you're able to you're able to tunnel it is the word he used and use it. And Manoa to me is that guy. I think he's a big game pitcher, and I think that again his legacy in that regard is is going to start this this weekend. Like this is what I'm excited to watch. I, I trust him more than any of those guys. If you needed any extra assurance that Alec Manoa is ready for this moment and isn't going to be phased by it, the quote from down at Rogers Center today, and we'll play some Alec Manoa audio a a little bit later in the show, um, got asked about pressure and said, my high school coach used to say, pressure is something for your tires. Uh, He does not seem to care or be bothered by it whatsoever. And I imagine he's, he's even more fired up. Um, it's kind of fun. Obviously this is thinking way ahead and the Jays have a big series to get through this weekend. But I think back a lot to him saying at all-star weekend that Justin Verlander was the guy he went to and was trying to pick the brain of and next round, who might the Jays run into it's Justin Verlander, 15 years older than Alec Manoa. It, it could be uh it could be a lot of fun. Um, but for this one, J.D., Manoa will start game one. The Jays being a little cagey about who's going to start game two. Kevin Gosman throwing a bullpen today. They're going to see how that cut on his finger responds. It doesn't sound like there's any worry he won't be able to pitch. It's just a matter of does he go game two? Does he go game three? They're, they're being a little, I think, intentionally vague about it. Um, what be. What would you do game two and game three, though, if you're them? Well, first of all, what they should do is be as close to Bill Belichick, the greatest coach in any sport, could be. Which is, you think Bill Belichick would tell you who's starting game two? Hell no. And as far as I know, the Mariners haven't revealed who they're starting in game two either, right? Yeah, I'm I'm of two minds. Like, if you lose game one, you're obviously throwing Gossman, and if you're pitching game two, to me, you would throw Stripling out there. Like, that's what I would like to see them do. Um I don't know about you. I just I think that trying to line up Gossman and be a little more careful and cautious with the finger. The only thing is, is like, Ennis told me today that he gets his finger lasered after every start, yeah. which I was not aware of. And so when I first saw that, I went, oh, boy, that sounds pretty intense. The only thing I, I, I'm reluctant with is when he still said that it irritates him when he throws the splitter. And if that's the case, well, that's your whole bag, man. Imagine mm-hmm. when we were going into 2016, Marco Estrada said, or 2015, like, hey, when I try to throw the change up, my finger gets irritated. Everyone would have gone, uh, pardon me? Well, then no. Um, I, I think that you just play it the best of all worlds, which is give him that extra time to heal, which is potentially an extra two days. Let a guy with a three ERA this season who everybody trusts in Ross Stripling try to close out a series and go to your bullpen a little bit earlier and trust that you can beat a Mariners team that, frankly, is a tier below you in terms of teams around baseball if you get that chance. So, yeah, um, I'm not overly concerned about Gossman. It seems like it's a pretty minor deal, but any it, like this is a... This is a game of small margins, and if you're telling me that I can have Gossman start a series against the Astros, which means that I get to use him potentially an extra time and also give his finger what could end up being 
just even a couple percentage points closer to full health or prolonged health, I'm doing those things. Now, would you subscribe to the idea that how tomorrow's game affects that decision? So say, obviously, if they lose, maybe you want to go Gosman so he doesn't pitch. Or maybe if Manoa gives you seven, heck, even eight, you're more comfortable with stripling twice through the order and then a bunch of bullpen guys on Saturday. Does how game one plays out affect your thinking for game two? Yeah, it has to. Of course it has to. Because, again, if you lose game one, then Gossman is throwing with your season on the line. There's just no doubt about it. Like uh-huh. you're, you're saying finger be damned. But also I think that there would be a scenario where – this is a doomsday one, but if you win the game but Manoa got knocked out of it early and you had to really ask your bullpen to carry an extra load – then, yeah, I would also say that you have to go with Gossman, a guy that's more likely to give you, you know, seven innings than a guy that is more likely to give you five. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, so that that's the pitching side. That's how the starters line up. Um, I think there's a real confidence in stripling at, at least two times through the order, which, I mean, in the playoffs is not that rare anyway, right? Like I was talking with, forget who I was talking with early in the week or last week. I've lost all concept of time and, and days, by the way, JD. But we well, laid... Three hours now, it's- yeah, this is insane. We what laid out. Okay, well, if Manoa gives you seven, Gosman gives you seven, Stripling gives you twice through the order, and you got that three days in a row, and then whatever happens on the fourth day with Barrios or whatever, by playoff standards in 2022, you're ahead of the game. Like most teams are only letting their non aces go twice through the order. Trying to tee up a Rays series instead of a Mariners series would have been hell because it would have been Shane McClanahan starting game one, and then game two and game three are an army of guys going once through the order probably. So even having Manoa and Gosman and and a bullpen that honestly is very well rested now after almost not being used, like having to use guys yesterday just so they're they're not raw, they're not rusty going into the the playoffs. I think, um, you know, we've talked a lot over the year about the bullpen didn't have enough pieces heading in. They didn't do enough to address it at the deadline. I still think they could have done more, but where is your confidence level in the group that they have when you can go Romano, Garcia, Bass, Meza, and then, you know, for the earlier innings, still have a Simber, have a Phelps, have even a Zach Pop who's maybe played his way into sixth inning consideration. Uh, I I don't want to really see Zach Pop. No offense, Zach Pop. I know you're from here. Uh, maybe some other time, maybe some other year, maybe with a massive lead or a game that's out of hand. I, I think that you have to separate the three guys from the rest of that group. Yeah. Since August 1st, Bass, Garcia, Romano, 61 innings and an ERA of 251. They've just been flat out dominant now for the last couple of months. I I think Mesa is good, but I also don't I don't have the faith in Mesa that I have in those other three guys. And then the pieces outside of them, they feel like guys that Schneider has to be very careful when and where he's going to use them. And there's always been this little bit of fear that because they didn't add that one extra reliever, the big strikeout guy, that there could be a spot that you're forced to use a Richards or a Simber, and that still scares me. So if you're asking me about the three guys at the back of the bullpen, if you carry a lead into the seventh inning, I feel incredibly confident that they're going to be able to close it out. What I'm afraid of is the playoff scenario that you outlined where you only let Stripling go twice through the order. He's out in the fifth inning. And the bridging of the gap to get to those guys, I still 
have question marks in. And I I don't think that it's horrific. I think that they've been overall a positive story. I think they've been a lot better than they got treated by a lot of us in the media heading into the deadline. But no, I, I'm not thrilled about the prospect of seeing Adam Simber come in in the sixth inning with a runner on uh, with the potential for that run to be the go-ahead in the game. I know I took us to the bullpen, but I got to double back to the rotations because uh, Scott yeah. Service actually just confirmed the rotation for the Mariners. Um, go Robbie Ray 2 or Gilbert? Robbie Ray 2, Logan Gilbert 3. Now, he yeah. said those could change, but that is the current plan. And, J.D., I, I only bring that up because I want to ask you, game two, if Robbie Ray's out there, does like – and this is much more of a fan media thing than how the Jays would think about this tiny part of a tiny extra part of you want Gosman starting game two now. So you get Gosman versus Ray. No, to be honest, I'm a coward. So uh. I want it to go the other way where you don't have them. Fa- okay. I, I want it for the narrative, but part of me goes, I don't know if I could live with the Jays being down in the series and then Robbie Ray eliminating them mm. after Robbie Ray couldn't come through for them against the Yankees the year prior when they needed him most to get them the win to get them in the postseason. The, that would turn Robbie Ray's Cy Young victory and all the fun we had with Robbie Ray into an actual unpleasant m- memory group. See, you know I, what I mean? Like, I, yeah, this says a lot about you, though, that you went the negative route, whereas my thinking was, oh, yeah, Gosman outpitches Robbie Ray. You get to close the book on that chapter, that Yankees game. That... I don't root against Robbie no, like that. But like, not, Robbie, not about like, it. But... Some people hate him because they think that he wouldn't take the vax. And, like, Ennis said today that apparently if they would have given him a big bag of money, he would have taken the vax. Seems shocker. Blue Jays. That's uh, like, yeah, you know, the amount of people we heard that like, hey, we'll give you a paid day off work. And suddenly people were open to it. Like, yeah, right. Of course, money talks. But no, I I, I did look at their stats and I was curious um, your take on this. And you're you usually have such a, a good finger on the pulse of like how a moment will sustain in this fan base, right? So mm-hmm. Robbie Ray this year, the, let's let's take the Vax thing out. Let's just play it out where the Jays chose Gosman on a slightly better deal over Ray. And yeah. Gosman has some indicators that maybe he'll age better. But if those two guys went head-to-head in game two of this wildcard series and that game determined the series, yeah, does that outing then, like no matter what happens the next four years, that's Gosman's Toronto legacy. Do you think that that would play out that way? I would want to believe that. I would want to believe that. It, uh, here's what I would say. It will definitely be in the, the nut graph. Mm-hmm. Like it's at the very top and it's one of the things that we remember most. And it's hard to imagine something bigger happening for him in terms of the way we relitigate him versus Robbie Ray. Mm -hmm. Like, Gossman would have to fall off a cliff, and Ray would have to continue to be, you know, in the Cy Young-ish conversation over the next four seasons for us to not look at that and not be able to point to that one moment and go, well, yeah, but Gossman was better head-to-head. I would say the Jays have a better offense than the Mariners do, Mm -hmm. and so if you were a Mariners fan, you would try to point to that. Like, I'm just trying to play devil's advocate as much as I can here. And the only reason I brought up the Vax is that I don't like, yeah, they, I don't care. Like, and it's it, just, it's, it's not, it's very, I clear. would like to leave it in the past now. I know no, the no, pandemic's no. not over, but like no, no. the restrictions are done. I would just like to not, uh, no, no, no. uh, yeah. The only reason I bring it up is that I think that Robbie Ray had a level of vitriol towards him because he didn't take it 
that totally turned Jays fans on him immediately. Like, people shut themselves off to paying attention to Robbie Ray or caring about what Robbie Ray did or comparing him to Gossman because just about everybody closed the door on Robbie Ray in the discussion already. Like, Gossman was awesome this year. He was everything that you could have hoped for and more. And because Robbie, people viewed him as like a monster essentially for not doing this and going away right away, it gave them that quick out where it wasn't like other pitchers or other players who have left to go to different situations right after. Because normally Blue Jays fans, we used to have a thing on our website at Sportsnet here called uh, Text From Your Ex or something like that, where it was always a column where people could look in on what a former Blue Jays player did. You know, Raptors fans do this too. It's more of a one Canadian team in a North American sport thing where we're always very hyper-concerned with what did the guy go do now, especially if then they go on to get love south of the border, Mm. right, after they were our guy up here. Robbie Ray just didn't have that. It's a very unique case of no one really cared about Robbie because he was on the West Coast and everyone said this guy wouldn't get the vax and so who cares about this story anyways and people were pissed at him and rooting for him to fail, which normally doesn't happen when it's not a trade. People are not normally rooting against guys who didn't get the bag in Toronto. That's all. That's the only reason I bring it up. Yeah, and I I think part of it too is he started the season poorly and maybe people kind of – but. Finished with a 371 ERA. Obviously, the home run issues. Robbie Ray's never going to get away from that. Yeah, um, but, it yeah, it'll be it'll be really fun to see him start uh, a game two. One, one thing on the – I guess this is kind of related to the one Canadian team. I'm just trying to work through in my head. So I, I just had Mikey Ahedo on, who's a, a Seattle-based guy for baseball perspectives. And T-Mobile Park, the Mariners are opening that up and airing the game for fans in there. That's a park that's as big as Rogers Center in terms of capacity. Would you go watch an away game there? Like, say the Jays go on to the ALDS and the Rogers Center is like, yeah, we'll air it. You can can come in and watch it with 50,000 people at the Rogers Center. Would you do that? Yeah, I would, just to try it out. I thought you were going to ask me, should a Jays fan go to Seattle for that? Like, normally there's the Jays takeover. No, I'm I'm not going to suggest anyone go get beat up. I know, but that's how funny would it be though if Western on, or Western Canada just decided that they were going to do a takeover of your in stadium night, like not even a baseball game. They just go down to troll. I'm advocating for that. If you do it on mass, you need a big group because otherwise somebody might get punched. Even in a a pretty uh, friendly friendly city, city like see, I was trying to look up the word to not say any disparaging words. Friendly, yeah. that's a good one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I I don't I think that would be hilarious. That would actually be one of the funniest things that's ever happened if that takeover ended up happening for a in screening watch. But yeah, if they did at the Rogers Center, um now that they have the better video board that's at the back, as long as you had mm-hmm. the right seats for it, I would consider going. Um I wouldn't go stand in the uh, flight deck. <laughs> well, yeah, you wouldn't be able to see. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's what I mean. Like, listen to it, watch it on a tiny TV. But I think if you got a big group of people together, it would still be cool. Because it's like, how is that all that different from Jurassic Park? Or, or watching at a bar or something yeah, like that, I mean. right? So yeah. it's just, it's, it's kind of a similar experience to me. I don't, like, I prefer the standing group, but whatever. Maybe if they let you stand on the field, that'd be even cooler. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, watch, though. Then you get ahead yeah. to later games in the ALDS. It's like, well, there's a small divot in the infield yeah. from a lawn. <laughs> 
lawn yeah. chair leg, yeah. and then yeah. that George caused... Springer has shattered his ankle. Oh, don't put that out there. I was thinking like a, I, I was thinking like a, the ball took a weird bounce or something like that. Don't put injuries out there. Um, let's take a break. When we come sure. back, we'll we'll take a look at the series prices, uh, see how we feel about those. We'll look at some X factors in this series and, and see who scares JD Bunkus on the Mariners. All that's next as JD stays with us on Jay's Talk Plus on Sports at Five Ninety The Fan. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL, the JD Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy, J.D. Bunkus from the J.D. Bunkus podcast. Still with us here. Uh, J.D. will be on 9 to 10 tomorrow as part of our wall-to-wall coverage of the Jay's wildcard series. Uh, Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert in the morning, 6 to 9. I don't know. Maybe subscribe uh, to mine though. My my podcast. Yes, subscribe to them all. I was about to do the whole lineup, JD. No, no, just mine. It's fine. <laughs> the other ones, it doesn't matter. It's fine. Just do the one that I do and leave five stars, and that's all. That's all you need to do today. Thank you. Perfect. The JD Bunkus podcast. Wherever you get your podcast, he'll be on nine to ten tomorrow. Alish and Justin in the morning, six to nine. Um, Blair and Barker, ten to twelve, as they always are. Blair and Barker also have. Um, I know you guys are used to Fridays and Saturdays. Someone else, usually Show Ali and or Julia Kreutz will fill in on Jay's Talk. Blair and Barker have you for Jay's Talk every postseason game after the game. Um, so your Blair and Barker podcast yeah, feed and your Blue Jays Talk podcast feed. Um, also, fan drive time. Sportsnet announced something for me today, by the way. Did you see? I don't think I saw. What's up? Oh, yeah. Sportsnet release. Old uh, Justin Bourne, Sam McKean, I we're doing the post game for the Toronto Maple Leafs this year. Really? So over that. Oh, yeah. I had no idea. Wait, see, I know. I, I, didn't, I, I guess, was... guess who else didn't have an idea? Yeah. Hey, guess who else didn't have an idea? You? Me. I, uh, I found out through people messaging me that read the Sportsnet release. I was like, geez. read the Sportsnet yeah. release. Honestly, anyway, if, if, if you told people, me the words Sportsnet, JD, and release were going to be in the same sentence, yeah. that's Whoa. not that's not the order oh, I would have put them in. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, that's not what I would have done with it. All right, JD. Um, So... You got another job now. Apparently, you're doing Leafs post game. You're going to be making a little bit more money. Let's see if you want to put a little of that on the Blue Jays. Uh, not going to go too heavy on the betting stuff, but I did want to get your take on the series price. Uh, the Jays come in. It's different every book, but it averages out to about minus 160 favorites in this series, which would suggest about a 61% chance at taking it. This is baseball. This is a three-game series. 61% seems extreme regardless. Uh, but how do you feel about the minus 160 price at first blush? I think that the minus 160 price stinks, and I would absolutely not bet that. The only way that I'm betting this series is I'm betting the Blue Jays sweep. Mm. Um, that's going to get you close to plus 200 no matter where you bet it. Um, some places I would say you should shop around because you'll buy, I would say that the highest end of that is going to be around like plus 185. That's the highest I've seen it as, but there's a couple of places that have been doing that. But uh, 185 is the highest I've seen for parlaying the Jays to win the first two games and basically sweep the series because I, I just don't think that there's like th- that price swing to just be able to get the bonus of the Jays end up winning a, a, an extra game later. It's just not worth it to me. I'd rather just bet the games individually. I'd rather bet spreads. Um, so if you're going to bet the series price 
to me, the move is to take games one and two, put them together. The only thing that spooks me a little bit is the prices might shift quite drastically based on whether or not it's Gossman or Stripling that pitches game two. But here's my guess. My guess is, is that the Blue Jays, that they are going to put their best foot forward in game two and not screw around with it, and they'll probably put pitch Gossman anyways. Yeah, that would that would make sense to me. I, I like playing out the game by game anyway. So do I. Um, I've got to sit down still with, uh, I, I don't know that there's going to be a ton on Luis Castillo. Robbie Ray is going to be really interesting to see which Jays profile well against him. Obviously, Robbie Ray, uh, a little bit of home run prone, something like a 15 or 16% home run per fly ball rate. And he's moving from uh, a hitter friendly park at T-Mobile to Rogers Center. Um, the Jays, you know, there was that little bit of talk at one point in the year that they can't hit lefties. That normalized over the course of the year. You've also got a fastball slider guy in Ray and some of the Blue Jays, you know, a, the growth for a guy like Bo Bichette or, or Teoscar Hernandez this year has been yeah. that ability to sit fastball for pull and adjust to take breaking stuff the other way if you're early on it. And I'm curious to see how that plays out against a guy with an elite two-pitch mix in Robbie Ray, who really just throws that two-seamer, you know, the same way Gosman uses the changeup, which is just, well, a little bit more than Gosman uses the changeup, but basically just to keep you from sitting on uh, it only being two pitches. So we'll see how that one plays out. I, I'm, I'm extremely confident. This is a stupid thing to say because people get so mad at you when you say it, but, like, whatever, I'm just over this. Um, I feel extremely confident against Robbie Ray with the Jays hitters. Mm -hmm. um, I just think that a guy that has to survive with the fastball like that, that the Jays hitters are going to be able to sit on for a lot of the game. And I know it's easier said than done, but that's actually the kind of guy that I, I think that they should do well against over the course of what they hope the Mariners to be is six innings. Yeah, that, that makes sense to me. Um, they do have a good bullpen, but it's uh, it's more about the guys at the back end. So maybe you could get, yeah. you know, you're looking at a, a seven-inning game. You know, I know we used to say in 2015 with the Royals, every game was a six-inning game because they had guys they could roll out seven, eight, nine. Um, you know, with Munoz, and, and I know that um, Eric Swanson's been really good too. I don't know if I had the same fear level of him as I no, do. I, dude, this is the no. biggest misnomer with the the Mariners. Okay, like I, I need to. Weigh Munoz in on is really good the, though. That slider's yeah. nasty. Dude, they have a really good bullpen. They're sixth in bullpen ERA, and I know that people like using all different statistics and they throw some out with bullpens or whatever because they're the Mariners bullpen. If you wanna, if you wanna be the friendliest to them, I think they're second in hits given up, which is an incredible number to have. Also second um, in swing and miss since the yeah. since the trade deadline. A, a really, really good bullpen. This is not the Jays facing Cleveland or uh, the Royals uh, from like their last two playoff exits where you start to get terrified of not being able to get a knock late in a ball game. Like, no, the, this Mariners bullpen is very good. They're competent. Uh, sorry, above competent, but it's it, this is not the scariest bullpen that's ever existed in baseball. Like it's it's not scarier than that Royals group. It's not scarier than that Cleveland group. It's it's below that tier. So the bullpens are normally, I mean, the bullpens are always an X factor because it's small samples, and, and who knows, you know, this guy gets used in this spot. The the Mariners have weirdly have the weakness in their bullpen is that they have no lefties. Like Matt Boyd might be the only lefty in their bullpen. But the Jays have no lefties you're really worried about that against, and you wouldn't want your lefty yeah. facing the Jays' righties anyway. Um, so I'm curious. We take the bullpens out of it. 
What is your X factor in this series? Or, or if not X factor, what is the one thing that could happen for the Mariners that would strike some fear into you and nudge you from I'm confident in the Jays to this is uh, this is going to be a tough one to pull out? I think that J-Rod is having a special season. To me, the X factors are for both teams. They're the two center fielders. Um, I'm repeating myself a little bit from this morning, but... To me, my number one guy in the fear rankings on either side heading into this series, George Springer for the Jays, Julio Rodriguez for the Mariners. And I don't see how it could be any other way. Like, if you just look at, like, I'll start with Springer. Springer's numbers over the last 14 days, he's OPSing 970, and he just so happens to have 63 playoff games under his belt, a championship ring, and an MVP in said playoffs. Um, he also has the second most home runs in Major League Baseball in the postseason since 2017. Like, he's hot at the right time. He looks somehow healthier. I don't know how that happened, <laughs> but he just does, despite it being something he needs surgery for. Like, I don't know how many cortisone shots or whatever you get in your elbow before oh, maybe it just starts to be a miracle and you're healed, but he looks totally healed and he looks totally hot. And I just think if I'm a Mariners fan right now, I'm more afraid of Springer coming up in a big spot than I am even Red Hot Obichet or Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Like I just am. Yep. I just uh, the I mean track he's one postseason MVPs. Yep. He has a 900 exactly. career playoff OPS. He's but and he's, he's peaking too. at the right time. Yeah, yeah George. He's hot. And I mean, we can you can go either way with the oh they're young and inexperienced because both of these teams are fairly young at least on the position player side. Um, and there's always that argument that like sometimes being young could be a good thing because you don't know you should be afraid. Uh, but nah. George Springer is a balancing piece for that regardless because he's the guy who's been through it all and been there um i'm gonna throw another x factor at you um i agree springer and j-rod are, are one and one a one b on the but fear. doesn't it just feel like j-rod is the like he's so he was like the fastest player in american league history because now apparently all we do is care about american league history thank you to aaron judge <laughs> all of a sudden american league history matters but he's the fastest guy in al history reached 20 bombs and 20 stolen bases yeah. and he passed trout to do that and like yeah as a fear guy I just he's the type of player that like you know me I'm afraid of the the narrative the special the you know cuz how do the Mariners do it well they probably just out bullpen them and get better starting pitching and they get up with a couple more clutch hits but I just that guy to me feels like when you when you just said the I I'm not afraid guy who comes up to the dish he is just that guy's not afraid he no. lives for the moment and so yeah my fear is that you give him a chance for a moment and he won't miss it not only no fear guy but the approach at the plate is really advanced like when we talk yeah. about moreno's approach or um adley rutschman young guys like that who have a good sense of the strike zone he's been worth an extra 33 uh he's got a plus 33 on stack cast metric for like what do you swing at and what do you take like your swing decisions basically um he's at like a plus 33 which is really really strong um i don't know how to contextualize that other than to say he's near the top of the league um here's, here's how you contextualize it you say my name's blake murphy i'm the best guy at stats in this whole country <laughs> yeah. and so how about you just trust me if i say it's good there yeah you go, done. um he also has a plus arm in the outfield by the way uh so one thing i want to throw at you and, and it's an X factor in this, less an X factor and more of a question mark factor. These teams are third and fourth. Toronto was third, Seattle's fourth in how often they've shifted opponents this year. But Mm. Seattle is extremely shiftable. Carlos Santana shifted more than almost any player in baseball when he hits from the left side. And he'll hit from the left side almost exclusively in this series. Eugenio Suarez um, shifted a fair amount. 
and he is much worse against righties than he is lefties, um, especially when it comes to shift stuff. And again, he won't face a lot of lefties in this series, whereas the Jays, like, Kevin Biggio is the guy you shift against. Danny Jansen is the guy you shift against. Those aren't super important heart of the order guys the same way it is for Seattle. So I do wonder how that's been such a big story for the Jays all year. It's been such a big story in Kevin Gosman starts. I'm really curious to see how that one plays out. Hmm. I think that's a good observation. I don't think many people would have had that one. Um, all right. In terms of uh, observations, well, I guess this is an observation. That was a terrible segue, but I tried. Uh, JD, I know you have some leftover <laughs> questions from uh, your segment with Ben Ennis okay. earlier. Uh, so many yeah. questions. Is that what the segment was called? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Exactly. This uh, d- d- sell it better. Like this. Uh, that sell was like you're a wrestling guy. You got to put me over. All right. I like, know, but is- I. I'm doing a three-hour solo show right now. Like, and what's I it called? Not, that boring thing you do? I did do not that, get to yeah. listen to your show this morning. I'm sorry. Okay, let me. I, I want to ask you uh, because we've touched on a bunch of different stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, I like. Let me actually just expand on one thing that I had just said. But I, I if it's me in a big spot, I want Springer up. I think he's number mm-hmm. one. It sounded like you agreed, but or would you go with Bo? No, like, I big would spot, go game sp- one. Playoffs until someone else. And again, I, yeah. you know, I'm more analytical than the like clutch or experience or whatever, but the combination of factors for George Springer, I want him up right now. Okay, so this is one I didn't do with Ben because we ran out of time, but this is the really fun one for me. I think that every single Blue Jay fan on the planet has Springer and Bo in that order right now because Bo is red hot. He's a man possessed. He's also just like hitting the baseball. Like he just looks amazing. Mm -hmm. With your game on the line power rankings right now, is Vladdy definitely your number three? No, I think I think I have Teoscar ahead of him right now. The way things have looked the last couple of weeks and, and what the season like Teoscar has jumped Vlad in huh. all those stat cast metrics. He's a top yeah. seven slugging percentage against fastballs against stuff that gets left over the plate. Um, Vlad has by far the highest ceiling of any hitter in this series and, and certainly on this team. But I don't think that my confidence level in this moment, Vlad is quite that high. I think Vlad would come in fourth. So I still have it as Vlad. I I just do, but I'm not mad about the answer. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like I'm really not. It's like they're, that's, what's crazy about the blue Jays season. Like one of the things to me is that they basically like Teoscar and it's George Springer, Boba and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. They all essentially finished with like identical OP. The exact same. Like Whit Merrifield yeah, even the, finished in that group yeah. as well, um, <laughs> yeah, it, it, just in his time with the Jays, yeah. and Danny yeah, Jansen yeah, beat them all. Yeah. No, well, uh, another thing that I outlined on my show this morning is I said that if the story of the season was Manoa and Gossman, which I think it was, those two guys were just you know front and center of the story of the Jays' season. Number two is, and I, I cherry-picked here because, again, like we can use Fangraphs War, we can use Baseball Reference War, we can use ESPN. There's all these different sites that have like different metrics to quantify, whatever. But if you use Baseball Reference War and you go across the table at the Jays' positions, you know who had the biggest impacts – they were very well balanced team, the Jays. Mm-hmm. You no, know, they didn't have a lot of spots where their war was below ten. Shockingly enough, shortstop was actually one of them where they finished like thirteenth in war. But the two places where they were special was catcher and DH. Mm-hmm. And catcher is has was incredible for them. They were second in war out of every team in baseball behind only Philly. And they were third in DH. And a lot of those DH days went to a catcher. Yeah. And even if you look at the roster right now, Gabriel Moreno 
might factor into it and might end up actually playing a role at some point over the course of the next couple series for the Toronto Blue Jays. Like whether it be a pinch hit situation, whether it be him filling in for an injury, who knows? If anyone um, after, after yesterday runner, didn't get like Gabby pilled, they're lying to themselves. Yeah. Like him playing three no, positions in one game and four positions over a doubleheader, you're lying to yourself if you if you didn't give yourself like one moment of what if he's just like a weird super sub utility guy yeah. that appears in one game but it ends up mattering so i did not watch the games like i didn't care i was like yeah there's no way i'm spending my time watching these meaningless games where you know trevor richards is starting one and david phelps is starting the other but i watched the highlights obviously (laughs) and when i saw the what moreno did i had this regret of oh my god did i just miss like the the this is when we knew this guy was special game (laughs) from an all-time Blue Jays great and it actually sat with me for like a good hour where I just didn't feel good and I and I thought am I really gonna watch this meaningless game start to finish on my PVR and I didn't thank god no I watched season three of Atlanta there you go yeah I no, he I just only I, got I one opportunity. So he played four innings in left field, didn't get a single ball, played four innings at third, got one ball and fielded yeah. it cleanly, got the assist one inning at second base, didn't get a ball. So uh, as much as he was trying to do the Russell Martin tribute, number 55, yeah. a catcher bouncing around the diamond, uh, not a lot of uh, not a lot of opportunity to take a look at what that uh, actually looks like. So this is going to be a little further expanded uh, from the so many questions. I asked Ennis just – it was a two-part question, but one was, do you trust Jose Barrios? And he just immediately shouted, no, no, um, a thousand times no. But the I, – I don't know if anybody trusts Jose Barrios. Like I think that you have to be a pretty big diehard to be feeling like great about him going into the postseason right now. Like mm-hmm. ZRA was over five this season. He had multiple meltdowns. Um, his last playoff appearance actually so happened to be against the Astros. So, like, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves with this question. It might end up being irrelevant. But how quick do you think the hook is for Barrios? Because he has had times this year where – and, like, his last start was very much like this, where it was against Baltimore. And Teoscar makes that terrific, like, stabbing play in the outfield. But it didn't look like Barrios had his stuff. And I know it was raining, and so nobody tweet me about, oh, it was raining, and he didn't have the mound or whatever. But when Barrios starts to – I've said this before. People don't agree with me. It's how I feel. I'm sticking with it. I've never moved off my position. I feel like his body language very much tells you, like, when he doesn't have it. And if I see that Barrios and you put runners on, like, he can let a game evaporate immediately. And so kind of like my question to you is just what do you think the leash should be for Jose Barrios? Yeah, I think it's a bit of a tough one because the way you describe that, I I can agree with it. But then you basically need to like emergency have someone up in the bullpen. Like someone has to get ready so quickly. Um, So I I don't – first of all, I don't think under any circumstance really you're letting him go more than twice through an order. Um, I think you just – you take the W at that point and and switch it over to the pen. Um, But I think you give him one – like tough spot. And if he gets out of it, even if it's for like, it's, it's an assist from Teoscar Hernandez, like it was the other day. Okay. But if that starts to unravel or he gets himself right back into trouble, the next inning, he's out of there. Like the, the leash is mm. extremely short. Yeah. Which is not, wild. not the first sign of trouble because again, he, he, there is the odd time where he gets out of it and it's yep. almost like he remembers that he can. And then you get a couple more innings out of him, but 
yeah, it's a it's a very short leash. And and like I said earlier, in the playoffs in 2022, um, having two proper starters, one five inning starter, and then one guy who's a glorified opener is pretty par for the course. I also sneaky think that, and I don't think any fan would feel this way. The team is semi-confident in Kikuchi again. I think him only pitching a couple pitches yesterday, um, 18 pitches, and them getting him into a low-leverage situation where he comes in with runners on base, I kind of think they were shadowing, like, hey, what does this look like if we have to use Kikuchi in a, in a spot? Oh, a new one. Oh, I thought Derek. that. Uh, was, <laughs> dude, that was a nice drop. That was clean. That was clean, D-Rock. Like, that was, yeah. like, that was so good that... I thought I made a mistake, and then when I realized, like, I got a fear that I did something wrong, and then I realized what it was, so I felt the added yeah. relief, but then it was beautiful to me of that was what he did. You, that was You nice. were worried. You're like, all, all you post on Instagram stories, like, Freddie Gibbs and stuff Dude, like that, I, and then... I froze. Yeah. Yeah, the true, my true music <laughs> yeah. is that. Yeah, <laughs> That's exactly. what I'm always listening to at home. What even was that? Where did he, oh, it was that, they're saying you say. Yeah, like, exactly. You say, yeah. Okay, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, right, yeah. I, was like, I was like, he's, he's got a bunch yeah, of like, them back got, there. Yeah. Um, oh, someone, that's actually pretty good. Dude, someone like wanted him to mix up the Lisa Loeb one, so he's mixing it. There's the classic. Yeah, that's the best one. That's yeah. dude. That's what I thought of immediately. So yeah. I was that someone me just now? No, no. Like, we've that's we've been using that one all year. Thanks for listening oh, to Jay's Talk so Plus. Good. No, I you know I listen. I, I subscribe. I review. I you got a five star banger there. Like you know yeah. that that's a fact. It's not you even know my own podcast give, feed though. It's I, just I I know. I feel like sometimes I when it's not you, I should unfive. I don't think that the analytics get that specific. We got to take a break though. Uh, yeah, we've got Ben Clemens of Fangrass on the other side. J.D. Bunkus, thanks so much for taking the time out, man. I am yeah, sure I will time. see you down at the Dome over the next couple of days. You're going to see me Friday. I'm going Friday. Okay. I'm going to stand with you and Benny. So you got to leave the nerdy media section and come with us. Cool? Yeah, after I eat the free food. I'll fill a freezer bag for, for you and Ben Ennis. We're going to take a break. Ben Clemens on the other side from Fangrass. Uh, we'll talk to him. We'll te- continue teeing up Jay's Mariners, which gets going tomorrow. At 4 o'clock down at Rogers Center. Jay's Talk Plus continues next on Sports at 590 The Fan. Everything you need to know about the Blue Jays. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. To Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. We are 24 hours and six minutes from first pitch of the Toronto Blue Jays wildcard series against the Seattle Mariners. If you haven't been paying attention, it's a three-gamer, best two or three. It's all in Toronto. Friday at four, Saturday at four, Sunday at two tentatively. That'll depend on what happens in other series as well, if it's even necessary. Couple updates from down at workout day. At Rogers Center, um, there were some media availabilities today. We've played some clips throughout Jay's Talk Plus today. We'll play a couple more over this last hour here. Um, Ross Atkins, John Schneider, Alec Manoa, a few others talking. The big news is kind of non-updates. Um, Santiago Aspinall, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. faced live pitching yesterday uh, in a cool note from Arden Zwelling. Julia Merriweather and Matt Gage were actually here to throw them live batting practice. Uh, those guys had come back to Toronto early uh, to get some work in. No update on their status. They'll work out today and see how that goes. Um, Kevin Gosman is throwing a bullpen session today. 
the Jays don't seem very concerned about the cut on his finger, uh, but they'll see how it comes out of that bullpen session before making a decision on their game two starter. They may not even make that decision until after tomorrow's game. John Schneider said both scenarios are on the table where they know going in or they wait to see. Fluid is the word. The Jays are borrowing buzzwords from uh, the the Toronto Raptors now. Uh, The situation is fluid. And of course, Alec Manoa, the star of any time he has the microphone. Um, But today he was asked about postseason pressure and what that looks like or feels like for him. And it's an all-timer response. Uh, To be honest with you, um, I have some coaches to say pressure is something you put in your tires. So uh, this is just baseball. It's just a game. Just got to go out there and have some fun and uh, leave the pressure for your tires. How do you uh, let out the pressure or then channel the excitement? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a lot of excitement. Um, you know, we got a whole country rooting for us and, uh, you know, two years without any baseball in this country. And, and now they get to, and not only them, but us as well, uh, experience playoff baseball back at home. Um, so there's definitely going to be a lot of excitement. Um, it's going to be an amazing atmosphere. And, and I think just continue to, to keep up that, that mental routine that I have, uh, you know, breathing, continue to stay in prayer and stay in faith and um, continue to trust that what I've done all year has been good enough to get to this moment and it'll be good enough to keep going. So um, that's really all we got to do. Alec Manoa, uh, correct that there is a lot of excitement. And yeah, good reminder there for everyone from Alec Manoa. Uh, you got to breathe. You got to breathe as you work through the the ups and downs of a, a short playoff series. Hey, at least it's not a one-game wild card, uh, although 2016 was a blast. Uh, it'll be Alec Manoa against Luis Castillo tomorrow. The Jays not divulging their starters for Game 2 and Game 3 just yet. We're, we're all pretty certain it's Gosman and Stripling in some order. Um, the Ray, or the Mariners, rather, announcing that Robbie Ray and Logan Gilbert will be their games two and three starters, but that is subject to tweaking as necessary uh, as well. So again, we'll play some more audio for you from John Schneider, Alec Manoa, and anyone else a little later in the hour. In terms of that excitement level, Talk Plus has been ex- extended all week. Um, if you've been listening, thank you. Uh, you've got all the Jays coverage you can handle this weekend. It'll be the morning show six to nine tomorrow with Alish and Justin going heavy on the Jays. JD Bunkus podcast at nine o'clock heavy on the Jays. Then you've got Blair and Barker 10 to 12. You've got Jays talk plus 12 to two from down at Rogers center. I'll be there that early that get, get that stadium coffee machine ready uh, two to four for fan drive time with Ben Ennis, also from down at Rogers Center. And then we'll kick it over to Ben Wagner and Ben Nicholson-Smith for a 407 first pitch on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Uh, we're going to go Ben to Ben here. We're going to talk to our pal Ben Clemens of Fangraphs. Ben, uh, I saw the Hakka eggplant you cooked. We've got a back-to-back-to-back-to-back baseball weekend here. What's on the menu? What's on the, uh, the Ben Clemens Michelin star baseball menu for tomorrow? Uh, tomorrow I am getting my booster, so I'm not going to be cooking. I'm just going to watch a bunch of baseball. It'll be nice. I'm getting all the cooking out of the way now so that I can just sit around and be lazy all weekend. 
I like that. I'm going to sit around and be lazy. I'll just do it at the ballpark because, uh, you know, they feed you there and there's there's all the coffee you can drink. Um, what's your excitement level in general for the playoffs? I know your energy might be a little low tomorrow uh, following the booster, um, but in general, looks like a pretty good wild card round for our, our first go here at um, official wild card series. Yeah, I'm I'm very excited. I I don't know how I feel long term about the playoff structure as a whole and what it means for competition. What it means for three days of jam packed baseball is awesome. I'm very excited for that. I think this weekend is going to be really fun, and I think it's just stacked up. Perhaps coincidentally, perhaps because this is always what happens if you make the third through sixth best teams in each league play with a bunch of close matchups. Yeah, uh, and they're also only three games, so everything is going to feel really tense. If you have a run in the first inning, it's not going to feel good. In terms of the excitement level for each matchup or, or the quality of each matchup, they're all close. Um, Rays Guardians got the the lull spot on the, uh, on the schedule, as you might expect. Um, but Jays and Mariners, Phillies, Cardinals, Mets, Padres, these are all pretty great series. Um, not to, to force you into a corner here on a Toronto show, but where does Jays Mariners rank for you in terms of you know, curiosity level and excitement level for how this one plays out. I have it tied for first with the Mets Padres series. Uh, I think the Mets Padres series has better pitching. I think it has the best pitching between just both teams, all things considered, but both the Jays and the Mariners are very interesting. The Jays are interesting because it's not like they've had a long playoff drought, but obviously this team is very different from the last Jays playoff team. It's all young, exciting guys. And the Mariners just haven't been in the playoffs since 2001. So there's just a lot of, there's a lot to like on both sides of this matchup. And I think only Met Padres kind of lives up to that where both teams, I'm like, wow, I want to see this. Yeah, I, I would. Uh, yeah, the Mets Padres one is a is a lot of fun. Obviously, not as fun as it could have been had certain things not happened with the Padres this year. Um, Jays Mariners, yeah, it's a pitching geeks matchup for sure, and, and we know it'll be Alec Manoa against Luis Castillo in the opener tomorrow. Um, how do you? how do you match those guys up against each other just with obviously their whole seasons and their whole reputations? They're in that same tier of guy. Uh, but Luis Castillo, three of his last five or six starts were a little rougher. Whereas Alec Manoa turned in one of the best months that any pitcher had all year. Um, do you, do you have a lean in, you know, who has the edge in that game one starter? I would give the edge to the blue Jays by just a hair. I've, I don't read too much into Castillo's recent string. If you really care about how hot a pitcher is, then you should probably care about just his most recent start. And Castillo's most recent start was fine. Uh, If he was coming in and everything was looking off and I I was worried about his velocity or his movement, then it'd be one thing. But in his last start, all that stuff looked fine. So I wouldn't read too much into his September. I mean, Manoa looks great, right? He looks Mm -hmm. as good as he ever has. And, I think he's great. I had him as I think like the second or third most valuable pitcher in baseball uh, when when we talked about the trade value series, and he hasn't done anything to make me look worse. He's <laughs> awesome, and he like he is just the right kind of pitcher to face the Mariners too, which is why I lean that way. He throws a bunch of strikes. He's just not going to screw around, and the Mariners are pretty good at taking walks. They have a lot of kind of patient, powerful types, but that doesn't really mesh well with guys who just throw strikes. And I just don't think that that's a good matchup for Seattle. 
if it was the kind of team that really wanted to tee off on first pitches, I, I might think a little bit differently. But I like this. I like this for the Blue Jays. I do worry, you know, Castillo could be very good against the Blue Jays lineup. He's a really good pitcher. But I think it's it's a toss-up with a slight lean to the Jays. I like that. I, I think, look, it's a three-game wildcard series, and it's two aces. A slight lean is all we can really ask for. Um, elsewhere in the series, we're going to see Robbie Ray and Logan Gilbert in games two and three for Seattle. Uh, Toronto has decided not to confirm their games two and three starters yet, uh, as Kevin Gosman throws a bullpen today, um, dealing with a cut on his finger. We assume Ross Stripling will be the other starter. Uh, Jose Barrios is, is around somewhere as well. On the Seattle side, the decision to go uh, Ray and Gilbert over Kirby, um, I think we we had a good idea that Robbie Ray would get one of the starts, even if you like Logan Gilbert and George Kirby a little bit better. Um, what do you make of the the two three matchups in this series, or, or since we don't know the matchups, Gosman and Stripling versus Ray and Gilbert? Yeah, I, I give a big edge to the Jays, and it's exclusively because of Gosman. He's mm-hmm. just better than that we're talking about here. And I don't know if I'd if I'd favor Kirby over Ray or vice versa. And I think Gilbert, I would start over either of them. I don't think it's a huge deal which starter the Mariners use. They would be better suited to have this be a four game series and get to get to face Barrios against one of their guys who they're hmm. indifferent between. Just because you know, I mean, four game series don't exist, but they would prefer to have it go longer because they don't have a weakness at fourth starter in the same way the Jays do. I like Gausman a lot more than any of the other guys. And I like Stripling about the same as anyone the Mariners are going to run out there. So I'd say that leaves the Stripling versus whoever matchup as another coin flip and the Gausman versus whoever matchup as big edge to the Jays. Uh, if you look at our zipped game by game odds, we have the Jays 60% to win whichever start Gausman starts. We have them against Ray, but yeah, it's, it's all kind of the same. And that's, that's a big lean for one game. It's, he's he's great. He is one of the best pitchers in the AL, and these other guys aren't. So that <laughs> um, the the Fangraphs odds also have the Jays at fifty four point two percent for the series. That seems a little bit more reasonable than than sixty percent in in one game with two teams that profile this closely. Fifty four percent does that does that feel? Right for you, it's a little less optimistic than the the odds makers are right now on the books, or at least um, how the market has, has bought those lines. I, I kind of entered this wild card format thinking fifty five forty five was probably about the best you were going to be able to hope for anyway. Yeah, that's that's about how I have it. I, I give an edge to the Jays. I think that betting markets are maybe a little too certain on them. It's just hard to be that big of a favorite in a, in a series this short and. Uh, yeah, that, that's about where I have it. it. If you told me that it was actually, you know, 58 or 57, I'd say, yeah, okay, sure. But it, it's just really hard to get off 50-50 in a three-game series. It's three games. Yeah, I mean, the Dodgers got beat up by the Pirates a bunch of times this year. Weird stuff happens in uh, in short windows. Now, um, that's the pitching side. And, you know, to me, pitching is fascinating. And, and there's a little bit more of a sense of... Um, 
I don't know, control maybe, like Alec Manoa going out there and being Alec Manoa or Kevin Gosman going out there and being Kevin Gosman, where on the hitter side, maybe we accept that some guys are going to have a good series, some guys are going to have a bad series um, because hitters, you know, get 600 plate appearances instead of 200 innings. Um, but when you look at how these teams profile on the hitting side, no question the Jays beat the Mariners in just about every offensive metric on the season. Julio Rodriguez is back, though. Um can the Mariners hit enough in a in a short window? Absolutely. Uh, like, uh, I guess I'm sorry. I'm trying to phrase this as poorly as possible. I guess. Um, can the Mariners hit enough? Yes, in a three game series. But say they win, can they hit enough? Period. When we're talking about what it's going to take to make a playoff run. I mean, yes, because any team can hit enough. They've they've had stretches where they've hit enough to win a bunch of games. It's tough. It, the pitching in this postseason is really good relative to your average postseason. I don't, I mean, maybe that's just because offense is down league wide. And so it feels that way, but they're going to need to win some low scoring games. Their offense is just, it's got a lot of holes and a lot of those holes are because they just don't do enough on contact. And so they kind of need walks to generate offense. And that's, that's just a tough way to live. Especially against the Jays. Yeah. Especially against the Jays, but, especially against a lot of teams in the playoffs. I'm, I'm kind of down on their ability to generate consistent offense. And one thing that really hurts them is, yeah, who is back? And he's great. And like, okay, so just tell the Jays pitchers to kind of pitch around him a little bit. <laughs> it, it's, it's a tough lineup behind that. I mean, that, that's no knock on them. They, they made the playoffs and they won a bunch of games, but it does not look like a, a playoff hitting lineup. It, it's really just a credit to their pitchers, basically. Like, Ty France, I like. JP Crawford, I like, although kind of defense first. And cool, all right, I don't know. <laughs> Getting sit on the ground quickly. Uh, one more Seattle Mariner that I wanted to ask you about before we turn to the Jays side here. Um, you know, Paul Seawald gets the the love as the team's closer, certainly the most fantasy-relevant guy. Um, maybe the most fascinating guy in that bullpen, though, is Andres Munoz, who has developed one of the league's best sliders. What makes that pitch so special for him? He's in the mold of, you know, Edwin Diaz, Ryan Helsley, these like very dominant closers who you think should be fastball dominant, but are actually slider dominant. And it's the same thing that helps those guys out. A, gearing up for a good 100 mile an hour fastball makes hitters more susceptible to sliders. And B, sliders that you throw in the 90s are just good. The, the biggest predictor for how good a slider will be, you'd think it's movement. And that, that's obviously important, but it's velocity. If you throw an average slider 85, it gets tagged. If you throw a same spin slider 90, much harder to hit. Because you just have, hitters just have much less time to decide is this a breaking ball or not. And it makes their swings just uglier. And that's kind of the Andres Munoz story. He's (laughs) really good. And it's because he throws everything really hard. And all of them, like, move a lot. It's not one of those hard but very hittable fastballs. It's just a good fastball. And same deal, it's not, honestly, like any slider, he averages 89 on his slider. Any slider that averages that hard will be pretty good, but his has enough movement to be very good. And that's just a tough matchup when you when you have these guys with riding four-seam fastballs, sliders. I mean, the, the starting pitching equivalent of that is Jacob DeGrom, <laughs> and he throws harder than all that. But look, when those pitchers are on, when they're on and throwing 190 with their you know fastball and breaking ball, 
I don't know, you're kind of guess hitting. And so that, that just limits anybody's ability to do a ton against them. Yeah, I don't think it's really fair. I don't think he should be allowed to pitch. Uh, it's too it's too <laughs> extreme uh, a profile. I don't like it. Um, on the hitting side, though, the Jays, it's kind of been an up-and-down year, but an up-and-down year that always kind of rotated around a pretty high mean and a, and a pretty high talent baseline. They're at a point now where, you know, arguably with Houston, um, the best offense in the American League by most statistical metrics, um, maybe short of the Dodgers in all of baseball, I wanted to ask you about Bo Bichette in particular, because I think the last time we had you on, he was kind of at the end of a tough stretch where we even revisited your trade value column where he'd been ranked so highly and people around the league were very, very optimistic about Bo Bichette continuing to be a, a good hitter. Um, and he was right behind uh, Austin Riley. Um Bobachet has completely turned it around since then, delivered on the kind of things that we were talking about uh, that made him kind of a high floor guy we were confident in figuring it out. And he's done a little bit even more than that. Um, can Bobachet be the best hitter on, on a playoff team? Like if, if that's necessary, he's back in the two hole for Toronto. Now he's out hit Vladimir Guerrero jr. Over the last you know month to two months. Can, can this be the best hitter in a lineup? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't know that in a median year he's the best hitter in the Blue Jays lineup, but mm-hmm. he is kind of naturally a, a streaky hitter. It's because his, you know, his approach is so-so, but his bat-to-ball skills are sky high. So when he's like when he's clicking, there a lot of the balls are going to be in play, and he hits the ball really hard and he hits it right. So he's going to be a very streaky guy, just kind of naturally based on his profile. He doesn't have a bunch of walks to to smooth everything out and have these things with no, uh, with no variance on the results. But yeah, when he's on, he could definitely be the best hitter on a, on a world series winning team. I think that that's the case for a lot of hitters on the Jays, to be honest. I think Springer fits that mold and Vlad hits that mold as well. And like you said, hitters have 600 plate appearances. And so they're always kind of up and down and everybody's up and down at a little bit, a little bit different time. That's kind of the secret to good offenses in baseball it's really hard to build a good offense off of one guy who's consistently great. I mean, look at the Yankees. <laughs> Their offense is good, but not great. And that's despite Aaron Judge having, I mean, a season that's one of the best, maybe 10 offensive seasons in baseball history. Right. Like, that's it's rare. 11 and wins or so. <laughs> it's crazy. You can't count on that. It's just not not a thing that you can expect to happen. And so the way that you should build an offense is what the Jays have done, which is, hey, if two of our five great hitters are on, that's enough. And if three or four of them are on, awesome. We have these really torrid stretches. So I think Bichette can be the best hitter on a playoff team, but you shouldn't expect him to be, and the Jays don't. They, they have a nice setup of a bunch of different guys that could do it. All right, Ben, before I let you go here, not going to put you in a corner to make a, a prediction on what we've just laid out as like a 54-46 series anyway. Um, however, I'm, I, I would like to know, what is what are you most curious about in the, in this series? What is the thing you're kind of keeping an eye on and to you is the, you know, the, the key to this series, I guess? I really want to see what Seattle has decided to do against uh, Guerrero and Bichette specifically. I think they're two very interesting hitters. You know, one's up, one's down right now. But also, both of them, it feels like you should be able to exploit their approaches. They're both pretty uh, pretty voracious hitters. They, they like to swing at a lot of things. And Seattle has a pitching staff that it feels to me can try to craft something around that. 
Yet, lots of teams try to craft something around stopping Bo Bichette and Vlad Guerrero, and hey, they're really good players anyway. <laughs> so I'm, I'm very curious to see what happens. Seattle's a smart pitching team, and they're led by their pitchers, so how they attack the Jays' hitters is going to go a long way to the series. I mean, yeah, sure, they could just spike some huge offensive numbers. It's three games. They've, they've scored 10, ga- 10 runs in a game many times this year. But I don't think it's going to happen, and to me, if the Jays' hitters are basically like able to counter the approach that the Mariners bring, and I think they're likely to. I, I, I have it more than 54, but it's just coin flippy, you know? Yeah. Any three-game series can flip. But I think what happens in that matchup of the Jays' best hitters, who are free swingers in general, against the Mariners' pitchers, who do a pretty good job kind of spotting pitches, and well, Robbie, Robbie Ray aside, <laughs> but uh, Castillo and Gilbert, do a pretty good job spotting pitches. I'm curious to see how those guys attack uh, the two hitters. All right. Well, we're looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to any analysis you throw up over at Fangraphs, uh, this series or any of the series uh, in the wild card round here. Ben, hope uh, the leftovers and a spot on the couch treat you well these next couple of days. I appreciate it, Blake. Have a good one. Ben Clemens of Fangraphs. Uh, make sure to check out all his great work, all the great work of everyone up at Fangrass. I don't believe the Jays Mariners preview is up yet, but they will be previewing all of the wildcard series uh, over today and tomorrow as well. Um, we've got one more guest on today. We've got another 35 minutes with you or so. I want to play a little bit more audio from earlier today, though. It was workout day down at the Rogers Center. We heard from Ross Atkins and John Schneider and Alec Manoa. Um, so let's lay the series out. First, Alec Manoa on his kind of ascension into the number one starter role. We know he'll start game one. We don't know who will start game two. Um, John Schneider talked about weighing those scenarios. So here's Alec Manoa on game one. John Schneider on what comes after that. I think just being able to have some good off seasons, you know, being able to uh, get some good work in and just understanding, you know, what works best for me. Um, you know, we have a great staff here as well. Uh, the entire organization, um, everything that we were able to accomplish, you know, during COVID while everything was kind of shut down um, and really being able to take some big steps, I think has allowed me uh, to be able to do do well this year and uh, to shine some of that light on some of that hard work that we did, um, you know, when there was no baseball. This is what it's all about right here, right? Um, you know, you train all off season, you train all year, uh, you go through the ups and the downs and, um, you know, this, this is what it's all for, the bright lights postseason baseball you know so this is what you dream of as a kid and um you know for me i'm just just gonna go out there and have some fun and play play some baseball uh you know i love playing with these guys and uh, we got a great team and we enjoy playing with each other and that's all we got to do just go play some baseball we're getting there we're about halfway down that road maybe um so i think factors that go in are going to be you know matchups you know the the fact that we have um, a lot of flexibility and depth is a great thing um, we've talked through a couple different scenarios um, going forward, and uh, we'll continue to work through that, you know, today, later tonight, tomorrow, um, and make a decision, you know, when we feel best. So we're going to get a very fired up and a very confident Alec Manoa in game one. We'll see about game two from there. I'd imagine sometime early tomorrow we will uh, hear how Kevin Gosman's bullpen session today went and whether that means he's a, a game two option or a game three option. Um, 
Also, Rob Longley providing the note that uh, Vlad just hit a batting practice ball almost into the fifth deck. So maybe he's just as fired up as Alec Manoa. Uh, We're going to take a break and then we're going to talk to someone else who's fired up. A Jays slash Mariners fan, uh, Cam Sharon, formerly of the Leafs front office, who uh, is quite the baseball mind himself. We'll talk to him next as Jays Talk Plus continues on Sports at 590 The Fan. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. That is, of course, Carly Rae Jepsen. And it's a little song about thinking about one love while you're with another love. And I use that not only because he's a big fan of that song and that artist, but because at one point, Cam Sharon was a Blue Jays and Mariners fan. Cam Sharon, formerly of the Toronto Maple Leafs, now at the Athletic uh, and more places to come. Cam, how are you, buddy? Hi, Blake. Uh, thank you for the introduction there. Uh, Carly Rae Jepsen, also from uh, the Lower Mainland, by the way. Um, also, I, I just want to say I'm really excited that I think this is the first time we're actually talking to one another live in three or four years. We text all the time, but I don't think I've had a live conversation with you in a, in a long time. No, I'm not a, I'm not a huge Zoom or FaceTime guy. So uh, yeah. text is the best, it's best you get. And then me, you know, looking up your box scores in that, that Vancouver Baseball League. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I just want to also throw in a, a shout out to the Little Mountain Blasters, who were the 2022 East Van Baseball League champions. There you go. Uh, so Couldn't have done it without you. See you. My, yeah, if you will, well, they did. In fact, uh, I was away for the final day. Uh, but if you see my uh, my Twitter profile picture, you see me uh, throwing a, a fastball, uh, wearing a strange baseball jersey. That's my beer league, of course, because uh, I'm a man in my 30s and I need to uh, hold on to whatever athletic achievements I still have. Well, people can find you at Cam Sharon YVR on Twitter, and it's a great it's a great photo and a great hat. You guys have uh, such wonderful uniforms uh, with the Blasters. Yeah. I have to that that's a nice introduction to you for baseball fans who don't know you. Maybe um, obviously mm-hmm. the hockey world knows you a little better, but we've got to get um, if if being X of the Leafs isn't enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got to get you a little more Toronto disdain here. You have a very hot Toronto Seattle music take for us oh uh yeah we talked about this earlier uh so one is that uh macklemore is way less uh embarrassing than drake uh for me (laughs) and not only that but the song that uh that came out uh after the death of a longtime mariners broadcaster dave neos written by macklemore it's called my oh my uh is actually really really good it's uh it's you know, Macklemore is actually quite embarrassing. I'm, uh, I probably shouldn't have uh, mentioned that, but I actually quite like that song. Yeah, and I mean, has, look, uh, anything for Dave Niehaus, we're going to be okay yeah. with here, you know? Yeah, and, and uh, midway through the song, he, of course, uh, or actually pretty early on, it has the, the audio from Niehaus's legendary call for uh, Edgar Martinez's double in 1995, uh, which is a, a defining, one of, the, one of the defining moments in Mariners franchise history. Uh, and also... Niehaus absolutely nailed the call uh, in a way that I, you know, a lot of sports moments, sometimes the broadcasters get it a little wrong. 
you kind of wish they'd improved on it a little bit and Niehaus nailed it, you know, no notes sort of thing. <laughs> um, so, Cam, I, I know that growing up in the, the lower mainland as a Canadian but a Pacific Northwesterner, uh, your fandom was split a little bit between the Jays and the Mariners. Take me through a little bit what that was like and how you ended up fully fledged on the Mariner side. Yeah, so it's interesting. Like this, like this is a this has been a little bit of a of a conversation on Vancouver Twitter over the last couple of days. Uh, some some pretty aggressive shots taken at both sides. Uh, Blue Jays fans and Mariners fans. You know, is this a, is this a Jay city? Is this a Mariners city? And for the longest time, I think it was both. And I, you know, when I was uh, when I was in my teenage and early adult years. I all I wanted was for one of the teams to make the playoffs and just be able to cheer for a baseball team uh, at the at the best time of year, and you know I never really got that opportunity because until I think when the when the Jays eventually made the playoffs in 2015, correct me if I'm wrong, but these two teams had the they had the longest playoff droughts at the time. Yep. Um, yeah. So. So, you know, I was able to get behind. Uh, I thought that was a very likable team. Uh, well, maybe not if you weren't a Jays fan uh, or already predisposed them, but I really liked uh, Bautista. I really liked Encarnacion. I liked the pitching staff. Um, they, they, it was easy enough to cheer for them. And just the, the fact that neither team was very good uh, at the same time uh, meant there was, never really a, there was never really a moment when these, when these loyalties had to collide. But I, but I realized uh, it was actually when I was in Toronto um, interviewing for the lease job. Effectively, I was, I was sitting in a hotel, and the Le- and, the, and the Blue Jays were in Seattle at the time. And it was one of the one of those times when the when the when Jays fans take over uh, <laughs> take over the stadium. And I just I just kind of realized that I had a lot more in common with uh, I reckon I, like I. I I feel more attuned to the West coast than I do as a Canadian. Mm. Um, so I, so I just kind of felt a little, uh, you know, missed at the whole, uh, at the whole situation surrounding it. I think that that was also because that was the time when the Seahawks were kind of at the height of their mini dynasty. They were just the, uh, they were, they were the reigning Super Bowl champions at the time and they would go on to win the NFC the following year. So they were quite popular in Vancouver and I just kind of figured, well, how come, how come Vancouver's not getting behind the Mariners? Because that was also a year that they uh, they had a couple of years where they were fairly close to the playoffs, and I think I think that was one of them. Anyway, they swept the Blue Jays uh, in three games in uh, in Seattle that year. Yeah, well, that uh, didn't that get was, them to the playoffs. So yeah, and yeah, yeah and and I think I, I realized that when uh, at that point that when when push came to shove, when the two teams were up against one another, I was going to be fully in the tank for Seattle, and I and uh, yeah, now that the teams are in a playoffs series like I this is kind of all I wanted when I was a teenager <laughs> just the two teams against one another and like it would be great if it was like a seven game series or at least a five game series but the fact that the three game series and it can be over so quickly I, I'm I'm actually just sick to my stomach thinking about tomorrow I'm uh, I, I'm fired up but not really I'm incredibly nervous uh, also because uh, you know uh, w- one of our uh, mutual buddies here uh, Tom Drance who does uh Sports at 650 here in Vancouver. Uh, we're we're pretty close, and he's a he's a big Jays fan. And I just I don't want to have to deal with him if uh, if the Mariners uh, lose the series, or especially <laughs> losing two, because it can be over quickly. 
It can be. It can be over in like 27 yeah. hours. And, you know, um, yeah. good good shout to Thomas Strance. In addition to Jay's Talk Plus tomorrow, I'm going yeah. to do his Vancouver show uh, leading into the game as well. So mm. I'll put a – I'll save the Mariners slander for there when it's a, an audience that might dislike it a little bit more. Um, Cam, how are you feeling, though, other than nervous heading into this series? Because um, the Mariners, you know, weren't the hottest of teams heading in. The Jays were playing a little bit better baseball but the return of Julio Rodriguez, I'd imagine, gives you a fair amount of, you know, a confidence shot in the arm. Yeah, and watching this team the last the last couple of months, uh, you know, they were like they've been they were really hot since that ball against the Angels in June. Uh, that, you know, that that's one of the, that's like an inciting incident that basically turned the season around. Um, I don't know why, but uh, we'll just roll with it uh, and. They had a, they had an interesting schedule towards the end of the year. They played ten on the road and ten at home. None against teams that were anywhere close to five hundred. The best team they played was Texas, but it was really it was a it was a struggle and slog to get through those games because not only was Julio hurt, he went on the on the DL with a with a back issue. But uh, Eugenio Suarez, who's the, the the second best position player on the team, certainly and possibly the second best player on the team. Uh, he, I think he broke his finger fielding a ball, and uh, and he couldn't swing a bat. So now, so they were so they were playing some really bad baseball on the road against some pretty bad teams, and just really struggling to 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 close out that playoff spot, which everyone you know wanted them to do. And so that was uh, it was really nerve wracking watching that and just thinking, oh, like if we're having this much trouble against you know, Oakland, you know, are we prepared? Uh, are we prepared against Toronto? And, you know, we haven't really seen, we haven't really had Julio and, and Eugenio back in the lineup for, for that long. Uh, but it, it definitely does provide a, a jolt in the offense. And Julio came in, he was like, he had, he had like a, a hit in his first three plate appearances uh, when he came back. Like that guy, just he's gone to the DL, he's gone to the injured list, like, uh, like, I think twice this year, certainly he might've been on an early stint earlier in the year, but th- that guy just doesn't slow down. I have no idea what, like what, what he's feeding. <laughs> so on the other side, Cam, obviously there's a confidence level in Julio Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. I was speaking with JD Bunkus earlier and he said, Julio Rodriguez is number one of uh, on the top of his fear list on the Mariners. Um, who is that yeah. for you as a Mariners fan coming in? Who is the Toronto blue Jay that scares you the most this weekend? Well, I actually wanted to to, to follow up something on uh, something that JD said about Julio. Uh, there was a moment uh, uh, in back in August. Uh, there was a Sunday game against the against the Atlanta Braves, where the Mariners had a four run lead going into the top of the ninth, and their bullpen uh, in an you know un- kind of blew it, of course. And Atlanta scored five to take the lead, and they had the top of the order coming up, and you saw Julio. Uh, jogging to the dugout, he was going to be the leadoff man in the bottom of the ninth, and he was smiling. And what does he do? He hit a home run to tie the game. Hmm. That's just that kind of, he's a guy that lives for the moment. He's a guy that's happy to be, uh, to be in, you know, to be playing baseball when it's at its most important. And I, I have no, I have no fear about that guy on the big stage at all. Uh, on the J side, um, can I actually throw a bit of a curveball and, and say that my scariest uh, Blue Jay is an XJ and say that it's Robbie Ray? <laughs> yeah, 
Yes, I like that curveball. It plays well to this fan base right now. Um, a homer-prone Robbie Ray back at Rogers Center, uh, as good as he's been, what could go wrong, right? Yeah, and just the, the kind of like he he's actually been quite g- good lately. Like yeah, he's going uh, he's got at least five innings uh, every start, but two this year, I believe. Like he's he's been very good, and I, I'm just I'm just so worried about 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 a homer. You know, as you say, a homer prone pitcher. Uh, in a in a hitter's park against a lineup full of right-handed power hitters, I, I, and also y- there's there's probably this history with with Ray and the Jays. Like, you know, he can say that that it's not gonna that's not gonna bother him, or he can say whatever he wants. But I kind of figured that if it starts to go if things start to go bad for him, like that's he he won't be in a good space. So I hope that the, I was fairly upset to see that he was named as a, as a game two starter. Uh, like, uh, like when you had Mikey on earlier, he said, uh, he, he preferred, uh, Logan Gilbert and George Kirby. And I'm kind of in the same, uh, I'm kind of in the same yard there. I think that Ray's probably going to have to have a very short leash uh, on Toronto side though. I'm like, I'm terrified of a number of hitters, but I'm probably most terrified of George Springer, uh, just cause, you know, he, he burned us so much when he was in Houston as well. Like we have a lot of familiarity of, of George Springer coming up with a big hit, big extra base hit when it, when it really counts. Uh, Cam last one for you before I let you go here. And I want to pivot off the series a little bit. You are an analyst guy by trade. You know, you were in the Leafs analytics department. I know that you come at things from a a data approach. When you look at, we call it a research department. Yes, I know. I know. Um, But you come at things from that perspective and, um, I know you're not new to baseball. You're you're kind of a lifelong baseball fan. But coming from that hockey research, uh, when you look at baseball, what is most interesting to you? Like what questions stand out or, or what do you get geeked up about, even if it's just, you know, trying to figure out how to work on your own slider for next year? I'm so je- I'm just so jealous at the amount of data that of publicly available data that that baseball analysts are able to work with. So there, there was a there was a point earlier in this year when I was wondering about uh, about what was happening to Jose Barrios this year, and you pointed me towards uh, towards Chris Black, uh, who does some fantastic work. Who, uh, who? Sorry, that's all right. Incoming call. Um, so Chris Black does some fantastic statistical work, and he he was basically pointing to to the movement of Barrios's fastball, uh, which is not something that you have any you know you have no level of of data that that uh that detailed in in hockey uh either publicly or privately so just being able to play around with that being able to like watch uh watch a game and you know we we see the we see the the boxes on the screen with the strike zone but just immediately being able to tell if if a ball was was if if they're if the umpire made a wrong call i love being able to do that <laughs> just kind of this immediate uh sense of of what exactly happened objectively Oh, by the way, this was a slider. It you know it broke, it broke uh, this amount of inches vertically, this amount of inches horizontally. Uh, I, I love just having that kind of immediacy. Uh, and uh, yeah, for my for my own pitching performance, like uh, <laughs> I, it's it's uh, what I've really learned uh, kind of tracking baseball data is I need to learn how to throw a sinker. I need a, mm. I need some some variety on my with my fastball here because I'm not. I'm not throwing it. By, I'm not throwing my four seamer by anybody. I'm getting too old for that. And hitters are getting too good. I need some more movement. 
Yeah. So I got to, I got to, stu- I'm going to study, uh, uh, Sandy Alcantara a lot in the off season and, uh, figure out exactly what he, how he's, uh, how he's doing that. Maybe I can be the next Sandy Alcantara. No, at least the Sandy Alcantara of the, the, you know, lower mainland. Uh, anyway, yeah. you, you can, you yeah. and Thomas Drance and Dmitry Filipovich, the whole Sportsnet yeah. crew that's out in Vancouver now, Sportsnet radio crew, yeah. um, you guys can get one of those Rapsodo or Edgetronic cameras or whatever and get working on the pitch design. And, and hey, you answered a, a season long question for us, Cam. I get mm-hmm. asked all the time, what are those H and V scores mean on the board and who are they there for my answer is always they tell you the break and they're there for the pitchers more than anything else they're also there for you cam you're the guy looking for the horizontal and vertical break on the big board (laughs) yeah that's good cam sharon of the athletic at cam sharon yvr on twitter uh thanks so much for taking the time out man really looking forward to your hockey stuff this coming season and to shooting you some gloating texts if this weekend goes a certain way well, uh, also, I hope that Christian Kirk uh, gives me some more uh, fantasy football ah. points this, this week as well. There you uh, go. Thanks go for having me on, Blake. I love, I love talking to you. Go, go Manners. <laughs> Cam Sharon, uh, formerly of the Leafs, now at The Athletic, and I'm sure you're going to see and hear him uh, a bunch of places this year. I uh, mentioned a couple of Vancouver radio spots uh, as well. My friends of mine, Thomas Drance and Dmitry Filipovich, both announced as the part of the Vancouver lineups for the hockey season ahead uh, so make sure to check those guys out as well. I'll be doing Thomas Trance's uh, radio show tomorrow uh, after my own show as Vancouver tries to tee up Ray's uh, Jays and Mariners. I keep doing that because I'm looking at Robbie Ray's name. It's going to be a long, short series. That's for sure. Um, it is going to be a quick series. Absolutely. We are less than 24 hours away from first pitch of wildcard game one down at Rogers Center. It'll be Alec Manoa against Luis Castillo. If three hours of Jay's Talk Plus hasn't been enough prep for you, which of course it hasn't, uh, we got two more hours tomorrow. We've also got fan drive time coming up next. And what a loaded show Ben Ennis has for you. Uh, Ben Revere will be on it. Pat Borders will be on it. Guy who might know something about coming up in in big moments these next couple weeks. And Marco Estrada. I am fascinated to hear if Marco Estrada has thoughts on Ross Stripling's changeup and what makes that pitch uh, so special. So that's after us today on Fan Drive Time. Tomorrow morning, Jose Batista on the morning show at 8 a.m. Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert will be with you from 6 to 9 in the morning, uh, setting up a whole day of baseball coverage, of Blue Jays coverage that we have for wildcard game one. Jose Batista at 8 a.m. with Ailish and Justin very excited for that. Uh, JD, who we heard from earlier, will be in at 9. Blair and Barker, 10 to 12. Jay's Talk Plus will come to you 12 to 2 from down at the Rogers Center. And then Ben Ennis once again for drive time, 2 to 4. Uh, before we hand it over to, for Game 1, Ben Wagner and Ben Nicholson-Smith. For Game 2, Ben Wagner and Arden Zwelling. We'll see what happens for Game 3 if it's necessary. Um, a reminder that Jay's Talk Plus will be at least 2 hours every day depending on the game time. So 12 to 2 tomorrow, uh, we'll go into the 2 to 4 slot on Saturday. And then Sunday, we'll do two hours before the game. Uh, we'll be back Monday. Monday's an off day, win or lose. Uh, we'll be 2 to 5, either teeing up the Astros series or post-morteming the, the season, hopefully the former. Uh, it is a time for excitement. 
And it's a good time to reflect back on where the Jays were one year ago when they came up one win short. As fate would have it, they won exactly one more game this year. Last year's total would have got them in still, but it's nice that they won uh, one more game. Down at Rogers Center today for workout day, John Schneider talked about just that. He talked about this team missing out on the 2021 playoffs, using it as motivation this year. And hey, John Schneider was a part of that team, but this is also his first playoff series as manager at the major league level. Uh, here's John Schneider talking about 2021 and his first series earlier today. It took a while last year, you know. Uh, we were we were playing really well, and I think that, you know, we were very confident if we did get in. And, uh, you know, you get so invested in the prep and the work and the people. Uh, it took a while, and... You know, one game kind of was the the phrase that we brought right into spring training. Uh, mentioned it yesterday to the guys, so we were one game better than we were last year in the regular season, which is a good step. Um, but I think it just kind of brought attention to the little things that are important um, that we've really tried to harp on, especially in the second half. So it, uh, I think going through those experiences um, are good and bad. They They can serve as tough reminders while you're going through the next season, as it did this year. And, um, you know, hopefully everyone kind of, you know, you don't want to dwell on it, but I think it is definitely a motivating factor um, from this point on. Uh, this is something that I've been looking forward to for my entire adult life. Um, excited, can't, you know, put, you know, one word on it. Um, humbled, happy to do it with the group of players that I'm familiar with, to do it with the staff that I'm familiar with in front office is um, something I do not take lightly. And uh, just thrilled that we're able to do it in front of our home fans. Um, just looking forward to a, to a really fun weekend. The Toronto Blue Jays feeling the excitement. Alec Manoa not feeling the pressure, though. That's for your tires, as Alec Manoa said earlier. Uh, pressure is for your tires. That's, that's a quote that's going to stick with me for, uh, for a while. You always hear things like uh, pressure is a privilege and things like that. Um, but... The pressures for your tires is one that's going to stick with us. Um, no pressure here. We got through three hours to set this series up. We're going to have two more for you tomorrow, 12 to 2 p.m. Um, we'll have a, a couple guests with us down at the Rogers Center. More importantly, we'll, we'll do what Jays Talk Plus normally does in this last segment, which is go deep on the pitching matchups and the batter versus hitter. Uh, I've got lots of uh, fun Mariners research. You know, what kind of pitches these guys do well against? What kind of pitches do they not do well against? How do the Jays profile against Luis Castillo? Uh, we'll look at all of that tomorrow. Again, 12 to 2 from down at Rogers Center. I know I just said it, but I want to highlight it again that we have loaded coverage for you, whether that's on the TV side with Pat, Buck, Hazel, Joe, Jamie on the TV side or on the radio side where Ben Wagner, Ben Nicholson-Smith and Arden Zwelling will be giving you the games. Uh, fan drive time from down at the park tomorrow. Fan drive time next also with Ben Revere, Pat Borders and Marco Estrada. Um, fan morning show tomorrow with Jose Batista. That'll roll into J.D. Bunkus and then me and then fan drive time from down at the park. Um, it's going to be a really fun couple of days. If it goes one way, it could be a very not great couple of days, but it's going to be a very fun couple of days. I uh, hope you're excited for it. Hope you're enjoying the, the preview coverage as we get ramped up here. Hope you're going to enjoy just a uh, man. You think the middle of the Jays lineup's good. You got Ben Revere, Pat Borders, Marco Estrada coming up 
on fan drive time. Uh, so thank you to Mikey Hedo of baseball prospectus to cam Sharon of the athletic to JD Bunkus of the JD Bunkus show to Ben Clemens of fan graphs. Uh, thank you to all those people for coming on to producer JR behind the glass to Derek Brandeo, King of the USA drops. Uh, this was fun. Looking forward to tomorrow. It's uh, ah, it feels special. And I'm so excited to do the shows from down at Rogers Center. I apologize for the last minute and a half of this show, just me being repeating that I'm excited over and over again. But guess what? I'm excited. Wildcard series starts tomorrow. Blue Jays at Mariners. I'll talk to you at noon from the Rogers Center on Jays Talk Plus on Sports at 590 The Fan.